Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Coffee with a friend is like capturing joy in a cup. Welcome to the Coffee with Jenny B podcast, hosted by Jenny B, a lover of all things coffee. Each week, Jenny will chat about connecting over coffee, what brings her joy, and everything in between. A lot can happen over coffee, so grab a cup, sit back, and enjoy. Now, here's your host, Jenny B. Hello, and welcome to the show. When you think about someone who is passionate about what they're doing, whether it's passionate about things that they're doing in their personal life, or if they're passionate about their job, perhaps they have a particular purpose in life. And it's those people that have that passion, that have that purpose, that have that desire, that drive to affect change. And change is sometimes what we need because If we did everything the same every day, we wouldn't grow. It would be actually kind of boring if things were the same old, same old. So change is not something we can always control because change is inevitable. And when we look to those change makers, those people who are passionate, who have a purpose, who can affect change, but affect change in a positive way. The person that I am so happy, grateful, excited, honored to speak with today is someone who is one of those change makers, someone who is passionate, who has a purpose. She has a drive and a desire to make the best change possible. My guest today is Rana Bukhari. Hello, Rana. Hello. Good afternoon. Hello to all your amazing listeners. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. My pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. I'm (laughs) I'm looking forward to our conversation. So am I. So I met you. Actually, the first time I met you was uh, with Tracy Koga. And it was Tracy's I Like You. I believe it was her Tuesday afternoon get-togethers. I call them get-togethers even though we were on Zoom. But I just remember that you were this bright light, this you know beautiful smile, the energy. I, I could feel the energy coming off you on the screen. And, and so I haven't actually met you in person, so I can just imagine what your energy would. No, not yet. <laughs> but uh, just being attracted to your energy because... I have a, a lot of energy and, and sometimes, and I'm sure you've been told this as well, that um, you're too much. 
you know, I've actually had people back up and it's like, whoa, you know, like your energy. (laughs) Or it's uh, how do you have so much energy? Where do you get your energy from? Oh, yeah. Where do you get your energy? Do you sleep? You know, what what do you do? Oh, it must be the coffee. Well, yeah, okay, (laughs) coffee, yes. But I think is, you know, when I was talking about in my intro about that energy, about that drive, you know, we have that passion inside of us that we want to make a difference in the world. And, you know, and, and I'm so, I'm so happy. I don't know if happy is the right word, but I'll use it right now. I'm so happy to, uh, to learn that you are entering the race for mayor of the city of Winnipeg. I so am. Tell, yeah, Very that's, doing that. that's so exciting. Okay. So tell me, what yeah. made you decide that you were going to enter the race? One of the questions that I, I get most often is, why would you put yourself through that again? <laughs> you know, and um, and you kind of hit on it uh, a bit. You know, I, I I really have been watching. I've been watching for about seven years, and uh, throughout my practice, working with First Nations and working kind of really on the ground level when it came to uh, at a community level, what was happening. And in my head, I was you know nothing felt right, and then the more you peel away the layers of what's happening around us, I just kept seeing band-aid solutions. I kept seeing one-off solutions about things that we should be alarmed, alarmed about, Uh, whether it's sustainability, whether it's the projections of our demographic in the next 10 to 20 years, whether it's environment, um, what we're doing about our lands, our earth, the water, how we're treating our most vulnerable people. Um, and COVID, what I saw during COVID was truly the trigger that made me jump in. Just the disproportionate effect uh, of crisis, of people who are already in crisis, should truly, just as people of the human race, of humanity, it alarms me that we basically saw people in bus shelters in the coldest historically winter in decades. And there was even a conversation topically about why are they in bus shelters? Like the whole, everything just seems so backwards. So for me, I know I have a purpose. Um, I know I have a goal for this city. It's my home. Uh, I have no intention of ever letting go of that love for it. Uh, so, so what I'm really wanting to do here is number one, get in there like I'm in right now and, and start, start changing the discourse uh, of municipal elections. Like, yes, we're going to talk about potholes and pipes and all those very critical things um, because they're very important. But I also need us really to truly start talking about how that one issue trickles down to affect people on an individual level and start planning from that individual level. Um, And I'll give you an example for that. When I blew up my tire, which I did on Panit, Right? Like, it's happening. It's happening to all of us. But I was secure enough to be able to spend four or $500 extra out of budget to go get my tire fixed. But if you're Jen and you have one kid and, you know, you're driving your kid to soccer and your tire blows out, 
and then you're in the middle of rush hour traffic and you pull into what McPhillips to because you can't stop anywhere else. Now you've damaged your tire, you've damaged your, your rim, you're a single parent, you're basically not making rent. Now you have this extra cost. You can't get your kids to school. You can't. I mean, the whole thing is not just about infrastructure. There's a bigger issue. And that's my approach to everything in life is people first, people over politics. And I believe once we do that, we will find that things will naturally start to fit in with good direction, good vision, and a lot of innovation. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you you mentioned a, a very important part. We tend to focus on the minutiae, right? The, the little details about, yeah, potholes are important and the structure of the road and, and so on and so forth, but that is not the most important thing. And you know, what's interesting, I'm working on an assignment for my students and I happened to land on this article and there is a thing called excuse me if I get it wrong, but something about, you know, shedding, right? And when we think about shedding, like, you know, you're shedding off fur or whatever. But in this particular instance, uh, it was a company that was dealing with something to do with a nuclear reactor. So it was about the building and so on and so forth. They spent so much time working on how they should develop the shed that was going to be containing something or other. And they didn't spend as much time worrying about how they were going to contain the nuclear reactor or anything as important as that. And they spent all this time talking about the shed. You know what? The shed is nothing. You know, not saying potholes are nothing, but what about, you know, like you're saying the infrastructure, you know, it, it's more than that. And it's something that we need to deal with. And Right. And if it's not sustainable, you know, at 44 years old, if I live to 70, for example, in my lifetime, this pandemic, we thought this was a crisis. Mm -hmm. What's about to happen in terms of climate change, in terms of natural disasters, because we haven't taken care of anything that we need to take care of. Even the UN has like, you know, 17, I think it's 17 or 30, but, but 2030, they have this vision or these priorities. For, for cities and well, it's mostly on a national level to, to start dealing with some of the environmental issues that we are basically perpetuating disaster. And we're really just taking this slow and steady approach. Uh, what we need right now is a full slow and steady shift in a new direction. Um, and that new direction has to be planning for 10 or 20 or 30 years ahead. And that's the only way that can do that and understanding that when we're planning 20 or 30 years ahead of time, there's going to be technology that comes into place that will better what we already have. There's going to be things that change and we have to be open to do that with the goal of always keeping people as safe, as secure and as thriving as possible at their individual levels. Because when they're thriving, they are going to be the most powerful contributors to everything else. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, you know, you mentioned about Band-Aid solutions that you're right. It's okay. We have to deal with this. Let's fix it. Let's move on because we don't have time to really get into it. But what you're saying is, you know, really doing the planning, looking at 10, 20, and possibly even 30 years in advance and starting to think about, okay, can we move along with technology? Mm -hmm. Yeah. absolutely. Now you mentioned um, briefly about some goals that you had for the city. I know that in your platform, when you had your launch, you 
we're addressing some of that, but what are some of the top goals? Maybe give me your top three goals that you would like to accomplish as our next mayor. You know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, what I can say today without a fully presentable, I used the word policy, um, you know, like I know, I know, I know where I'm going, but the, the details of everything we're just trying to get, it's a creation, you know, and I keep going back to stuff because I learn more things and I review more things and people tell me uh, more things. And I really just want it to be transformative. If that's mm-hmm. the word, I want it yeah. to be bold and transformative. But what I can say is that everything I do uh, will have a focus on community, prosperity. It'll have a focus on sustainability. And when I say sustainability, I, I, I want Winnipeggers to understand that I'm not just saying economic sustainability. In my brain, <laughs> the way I think when I say sustainability, yeah. uh, and I'll have to continue to define it, I mean the sustainability uh, of people places, I'll use terms places, which ultimately would be infrastructure and the environment. So it's the sustainability of all those three components, you know, and prosperity as well. Like we aren't going to be able to be sustainable if our people are not prospering because people literally are worried about what's happening in their own homes, food, shelter, water, bills, health. When they're dealing with the bare necessities, they really are going to have a hard time thinking about the world. They're going to have a hard time thinking about what's happening outside their immediate family. So we want to make sure people have the capacity to think outside of their immediate. And we can only do that if we've lessened some of the burden on them, in whichever way. So when you mentioned capacity, I used to work in fundraising. And one thing that we talk about is capacity and affinity. So there's the capacity that you have to do something, invest, but then there's the affinity. Are you aligned with whatever it is you're doing? And so I, for me, the, the two things go together. So do you, do you believe that? Absolutely, they go together. And that is coming full circle. That's why the vision for the city is based in community, is based in prosperity and based in sustainability, because we're not leaving anyone behind. We're not only talking about small businesses and we're not only talking about infrastructure and we're not only talking about um, the same things we've always talked about in every single municipal election. Uh, There needs to be a change in discourse. Life is very difficult for a lot of people. And especially COVID, post-COVID. I think that um, this is a post-COVID election. This will be a very unique election in terms of, like you're saying, uh, people's capacity and infinity to even take information in. Can they even take the information in? Do they have the ability at this point to even think about what's happening in politics today? Yes, a lot do. But a lot of people are really struggling, whether it's with mental health issues, whether it's, you know, whatever else. I mean, how many people do you know? Um, I mean, I can list off 20 people right now where it's just, you know, there's something going on. And we're all trying to lift ourselves up, including myself. We're trying to get ourselves back up, um, you know. And so, so I think that approaching this election with compassion and empathy for people uh, is going to be the only way to proceed. 
You know, you're absolutely right, Rana. What's happening, not just mental health issues and, you know, people still trying to recover from COVID, but there's a, there seems to me, at least for me, there's a sense of apathy. You know, it's almost as if people have just given up. It's like, what's the point? You know, who cares? And people should care. You know, what can we do to not make them care because we can't make anybody do anything, but what can we do to lift them up, to inspire them, to want to believe that, yes, there is a purpose, there is a plan, there are exciting things that can happen to our city. This is the responsibility in my world right now. I feel like it's the responsibility uh, of, of us. It's the responsibility of us like candidates who are coming out right now uh, it's our responsibility to be able to have those conversations and lift people's spirits and not saying that we lift them and we carry it. That's not it. But, you know, if we're not providing a hopeful future, why would people stay? It makes no sense. There has to be something. Um, and But I'll tell you, for as long as we keep perpetuating the same narrative, the same conversations, the same everything with the exact same solution. They're going to talk about the budget. Well, this, you know what? This is my, this is, this is something that I really, it, it, it's almost <laughs> like, it's almost like we think that Winnipeggers don't understand. They understand. Winnipeggers know that budgets are based on priorities. They're about priorities. So when your leaders put forward their priorities, your budgets are based on that priorities. It's not a framework that we have to fit ourselves into every year. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so same thing every year. Right. It's, you know, so so not everyone's gonna love that. There's groups of people who will not be happy with that. But at the same time, you know, our goal has to be that we are human beings living in a world that on a, on a universal perspective, we have climate issues, we have environmental issues, we are poisoning the water, the land, and the earth, number one, which means we are creating human beings who will suffer from our actions, first off. Number two, we are burdening human beings, families, whichever way they look like, with the kind of stress that they don't deserve. People are paying their taxes. People are contributing. People are fundraising. They're, they're, our greatest asset for Winnipeg is our people. And we're literally just acting like they don't exist. <laughs> you know, so so for me, I know it's going to sound really different. Um, I know I'm going to take a lot of flack. And I know it's going to be, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. No, no, no. I'm a very competent, educated person. <laughs> Not that you have to be, but we're allowed to have visions. So for me, you know, it, it's a vision and it's a plan. And uh, while everyone else wants to talk about one-offs, uh, I, I need to stick to the to the plan and the vision. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned vision because I was just thinking about that word visionary. Because when you think of visionaries, you think of explorers, you know, the ones that they see something that no one else sees. You know, they have this, they have this futuristic idea of that. I know that there's something out there. I can almost feel it. I can almost touch it. And I want to make it happen. But because no one else around us 
has your same vision. And that's why when you do have that vision, you need to make sure that you are following through on it. And never mind the naysayers, right? Because not everybody is happy with change. You know, some people want the same old, same old. That's not how you get by. I mean, you can get by same old, same old. But what about all the exciting things that could happen? Everything that you've been talking about right now, we need people like you. We need those visionaries. We need those people with that passion, that purpose, that that desire to affect change. And based on what you've just talked about in terms of some of your goals and even everything that you stand for, you're the person that can affect those change. Now, my question for you, because with your background as a lawyer, do you feel that your experience, your education, and so on as a lawyer is going to help you in this position? Absolutely. You know, at 44 years old, you know, I've done politics. uh, I've run my own business. I'm an entrepreneur. I have my own law firm. I've had one of the most unique practices ever. I, you know, most people don't run their law firms like I do, uh, but I do it and I've learned so much. And, you know, from the political side, from the political experience, I know how to run campaigns. I know how to create policy. I know the air game, the ground game. You know, I know to get out the vote stuff. I know how these systems work. I know what we got to do in terms of logistically campaigning. That's something that I, I learned from my political experience. From law, it's very much Seeing the diamond in the rough is what I learned from law. It's seeing that one that one thing that completely can make or break an issue. Because when your eye catches that one thing, that's the thing. That's the issue. So I've learned a lot in law. And, and just knowing the law, just knowing uh, jurisdictional responsibilities, you know, the, the rights, our, our rights as citizens of this place of this country of this city we have rights right we have we have rights we have obligations and just because people don't want to talk about it doesn't mean we don't have the right to clean water we don't have the right to freedoms uh, whether they're religious uh, sexual orientation gender whatever it is we have those rights so when we are not fulfilling those rights based on policies that are archaic have been in place for how many years have never been reformed or changed that means somebody's rights are getting stepped on and i'll even go as far as saying this there should be no human being there should be zero people standing at food banks in this country there should be zero people zero people who are on the streets of the city of winnipeg there should be zero people in this city who are so struggling with mental health services that they legitimately are in crisis and are waiting X amount of time just for help. Now, I know it's a provincial jurisdictional issue. That's not the point. But that doesn't mean we wash our hands of it. No, exactly. And you know what? Let's talk about ethics for a second, okay? Because when I teach my students about ethics, you know, something can be ethical and illegal, or it could be legal but unethical, you know? So there's that fine fine line between okay you know that little voice inside of you that says you know maybe i shouldn't be doing it but i'm going to do it again you know so how do ethics come into play i guess in politics i mean i don't know if is that is that a strange thing to think about <laughs> absolutely so this is this is what i'll say this is more of a run of value 
system than it is essentially, you know, municipal politics, because we all know that um, as municipal politicians, we have certain things that we can and can't do. However, leaders, you are a leader if you can collaborate, if you are unable to collaborate with the federal or the provincial government ever, and including First Nations, you are not a leader. Leadership demands collaboration. It is a pillar of leadership. It just is. And where there is not collaboration, we can go back to history and see all the wars, all the conflict, all the things that have happened based on the inability to collaborate. What's the issue? If the ultimate goal is the same thing and you don't really care about credit, what's the problem? Simply ego. Get it done. Yeah. And when ego gets in the way, oh my goodness, collaboration is right out the window. There's no collaboration without with ego. Absolutely. No. And, you know, when you think about a leader, you were talking about a leader. So not just um, knowing how to collaborate, but also someone who has integrity, mm-hmm. you know, someone, someone that is trustworthy, someone that you are willing to support because you believe in what they stand for, that you value. And you talk about values, right? It's, it's speaking to our values. It's speaking to our core values, making a difference, making a difference, not enough people are willing to do that to make a difference to affect change no because people are scared leaders are scared they're scared of towing the line they're afraid of angering one group of people over another but that's not what we need right now we need vision we need boldness we need people to you know take the punches as they come because you know it's a good idea you know it has to happen and for me you know the 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 benefits of life experience is that there comes a point where things they do hurt you. Like when people say, of course, like I'm a human being, I have a, have a pretty soft heart. <laughs> so things definitely, they do, they do hurt me, but they don't, it doesn't make me go off track. If anything, it just fuels my fire. But you asked a question about ethics and I'll give you this example because I think it's a really important example. Whenever I think about ethics and law, as in people abiding the law, I know a friend who owns a little mom and pop grocery shop in the corner of, I mean, a place on Sergeant North End. That area is beautiful. Really cute little place. Neighbors know they can come there. Everyone knows your name. It's one of those really beautiful places that we all wish for on every corner, right? Walk to. And he always tells me, he's just like, you know, once a day, somebody comes in and just takes something. And sometimes it's milk. Sometimes it's, a, you know, a small thing of bagels. Sometimes it's bread. Sometimes it's a jar of peanut butter. And I said, oh, okay, okay. And we were having a law discussion. This is how the conversation started. There was a sign on the door that said shoplifters will be prosecuted. That's what the sign said when I walked in. And I said, hey, so if I jokingly grab this peanut, like we were just joking around, very good friends, like my brother, okay? And then he was just like, no. And he was like, actually, Rona, people come in here often. And they just basically grab whatever and they hide it and they think I don't see it, but I see it. And I said, oh, and I said, well, what do you do? Like you, and he's just like, no, I don't, I don't do anything because if somebody is so desperate to come in and grab bread and you can clearly see that they're unable to provide, you know, the, the exchange for the bread, the dollars that you require for the purchase, But that's where that idea, that's where that thought goes to me, is that we want to criminalize people 
for bare necessities. And sometimes there's no option. Sometimes the food banks are lined up. Sometimes the Salvation Army and where people are lined up out the door for basically soup and soup and bread and whatever it is, people need to eat, you know. So what are we doing for food security? You know, what are we doing for those things? The city has a lot that they can do. Why can't we have urban gardens? Why can't we have places where people can go to drop off, you know, not in terms of a shelter, but some place where people can go? Why don't we have rooftop gardens where people can go on the top of their roofs and, you know, pick, you know, four oranges or four tomatoes and get some cucumbers and, you know, give it to the guy in the street? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, as a community, we can manage this. We can. And I think it's our responsibility to do that. You know, I think about the the example of the loaf of bread. You know, there's that uh, Les Misabra, you know, where I think it's Valjean stole the bread and then he was persecuted and chased for stealing a loaf of bread. And I guess the shopkeeper in some in some ways, I guess if he if he wanted to stop the person stealing the bread, what would that accomplish? Right. And I mean, the person who's coming in and taking the loaf of bread, I'm I'm sure they're they must feel some sense of despair or feeling ashamed. It's like, you know what? I don't want to take this loaf of bread, but I'm starving or my kids are starving and I need it. And it's having compassion. You know, it comes back to having compassion and being less judgmental about people being in certain circumstances, you know, because I think, you know, and I'll be the first to admit, you know, sometimes I can be a little judgy, you know, I look at the situation and then I have to pull myself back and it's like, well, you know, who am I to pass judgment on anybody? But it's human nature to do that. So at the same time, we don't beat ourselves up about it, right? It's human nature to be like, well, what do you do? But at the same time, you know, I just believe in compassion to such an extent and empathy to such a such an extent that I truly believe that people are human beings. They are in crisis in whichever way that they are. I believe that if I have an extra anything to provide... It's not my job to even judge. If I have it, you got it. If I can, you got it, right? Because then I've done my part. Now, it's their job at that point to say, okay, well, somebody has a hand, you know, to lift me here. Like, am I going to take it? But then we also have to be aware of the fact that people have mental health crises. People have issues. Winnipeg has some very severe drug issues at this point in time, you know, and we have to start dealing with those things and have safe places where people can go. There's all these different things that are happening in this city. And I think that we're just trying to bury our heads and not look up and everything's affecting everything else. Right. So where we have a lot of drug issues, especially if, if they are intravenous drug issues, how do we not know when five years we're going to have a spike um, of HIV, you know, and we see this starting to come out again. Thank goodness there's drugs available. Hepatitis, which is going to put another burden on the, on, on our provincial healthcare system. Everything is interconnected. And then at the same time, you know, people who are in addiction, they don't even know what they need, right? They need us. They need us to look at them as human beings and try to do something. And there's pilot programs available across the world. There's all of these things that are happening that are innovative, that are, you know, tackling these issues across the country and the world. We just not need to be willing to do it and look at it, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You mentioned empathy uh, a few times. And 
it made me think. So my friend Joanne Zook, she's all about fearless negotiation. And I remember that she was saying that men have no problem negotiating. Women tend to not negotiate for what they're worth. You know, they tend to settle, right? Women tend to settle. But where the where the word empathy comes in is that women have empathy. Women don't need to be taught to have empathy. Men actually, and this is something Joanne said, that men actually uh, almost need to be taught to have that empathy. And I, and I know I'm general, generalizing here, not, not all men are like that, but as a woman having empathy, you know, and as a woman, and I want to also touch on a woman of Asian descent coming into an area or an arena, I guess, that is or has been primarily controlled by men. You're coming in now as a breath of fresh air in my eyes, that you were a breath of fresh air. You were coming in with, yes, purpose. You have an agenda, you have goals, you have aspirations for the city. You have this vision of what you see and what can be done, but you're coming at it not with a hammer where you're saying, yep, this is what I'm doing, bang, bang, bang. But you're coming in, you know, and they they talk about women in the South, you know, that they're soft, but there's that steel underneath. And that's what I see in you as well, oh, is that you've got, that, tough. <laughs> you've got that toughness, that heart. And then underneath, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm a tough chick. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. You know, in my past political career, that was something I learned in the past that coming at things uh, with a hammer, just because I wanted it so bad. But what I lacked at that time was the experience I got from my practice in law. I mean, it's a beautiful education and, you know, what we learn from that is, you know, how to come to that common denominator in every single conversation, in every single battle, in every single issue. And I believe that there's common denominators amongst all of us, even across all the candidates. The second thing is, is that I really am a different type of person. I, I recognize that. I've always recognized that. I'm a little quirky when it comes to my my ways. But that's fine. I think that there is consistency. Um, I've always been the same person. You can talk to someone who knew me at five and talk to someone who knows me at 44. I've always been me. It's always been the same thing. And I think one of the things that uh, I hope Winnipegers see during this campaign is we have this opportunity because after crisis is always opportunity. Like Winnipegers, we're already shifted. We're already disaligned. Let's make those bold moves now. Now is the time. Now is the time. Like, let's do it. We're already unsettled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, let's not be afraid. Let's not be afraid to hear about how we can transform our ways. Let's not be afraid to hear about uh, how we can follow Indigenous leadership uh, on the path to reconciliation. Let's not be afraid to talk about how we can tackle poverty uh, and new immigration, new immigrant issues or how we can tackle, you know, the pipes and the pavement and all those things that we have to do. We have to do it all. But let's just be transformative and visionary. And let's not just beat down the people who are coming forward with ideas. Let's do this for real. Like we can we can completely change the direction of this ship. And we're Winnipeg. We're Winnipeg. Like we have the best people in the freaking country. 
And we're tough. Winnipeggers, you're tough. We are. So we have all the skills. We just need political will. And I'm providing that political will. I, I have that political will. And, you know, there's one more word that I want to add to the transformative is transparent. We need to be oh, transparent. Absolutely. And I would encourage Winnipeggers to demand that transparency. Uh, after what we have seen uh, with the police headquarters issue, with all the legal cases in the past, I would go as far as even uh, transparency in sewage being dumped in our water. Like there are things that we need to know. I think Winnipeggers demand transparency, demand it. It is your right to know what's happening, especially when it's going to affect your health and wellness. Absolutely. And not just demand to know, but want to know how could this have been handled differently? Because things can always be handled. I don't want to say the right way. I want to say, again, back to ethics. You know, there's there's an ethical way of doing it. You know, so if you have no choice to dump the sewage, how about heads up? And again, it comes back to planning because this is not the first time they've done it. What haven't you learned from the last time? How about we have a different plan of how we're going to handle this? And also, I would have liked to have known before. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. <laughs> if that was the plan with, you know, people in my home who are immune compromised and um, whatever other issues and we're just coming out of COVID and people are really scared about their health. And here we are talking about third world countries and their water issues. And here we are dumping sewage in our own. I mean, people, let's talk about this issue. I know that there are infrastructure issues where we sometimes have to do it. It's in the best interest of the city to do it. But I could tell you that the majority of us probably wanted to know what was happening. And then we adjust as people. We, we figure out what we're going to do. Are we just not going to use our taps? Are we going to go get, like, I don't know, whatever we need to do, we do it. Get some filters. I don't even know. But something. You know, it, it made me think back in the day where we used to do the town hall meetings. Mm, love. Right? Where if there was an issue that needed to be, let's say the city was coming out with a new policy about, I don't know, something. Let's talk about the sewage. Let's let's say, you know, okay, we have an issue. We don't know what to do with it. This is what we've been doing. Same old, same old. You know, let's put it out to the public. You know, how about coming forward, maybe having some ideas? What can we do about it? And going out to the people, going out to the people of Winnipeg and said, we want your opinion. We want, you know, and I mean, there's a little bit of risk in doing that in a, in a sense, because, you know, now, now you're asking for opinions and you're going to get them, right? Whether you want it or not. <laughs> but it's, it's an opportunity to say, you know what, this is your city and we're not in the position that we're, we're having to tell you what to do. Maybe we want to have that back to your idea of collaboration. You know, let's collaborate with the city. Let's collaborate with the Winnipeggers. Let's find out. Let's put out a, a survey poll. I know people who poo it as like, ah, oh, surveys, you know, but for real, like, I want to know how you feel. What are your issues? What can we do about it? You know, let's talk about it. Let's find out what people in Winnipeg want. You know, don't give us the Band-Aid solutions. Don't tell us what we need to do. Ask us ask us what we what we want what is the most important thing for us and then go from there 
it's interesting. Like pol- politics is interesting, right? You have pundits, you have people who are just there saying, you know, shaking their fists at the clouds, being like, oh, well, they, they're not putting out policy five months out of before an election. Well, look, if I'm not knocking doors for a good few weeks, I'm basically in a silo making decisions without having talking to anyone. Is that the leadership that we want? Like, I personally wouldn't want that. So I'm not going to follow that direction, right? So I really um, am so committed. Like, we're having a blast at the doors. People are, it's five months ahead of your election. I didn't even know there was an election. What election? (laughs) Election? What election? But at the same time, you know, every door you learn something, you gather something, um, and then you see the trends. You see, okay, well, these are the five or six issues that continuously come up, right? And one-off policies, we're always going to have one-off policies, but they have to fit the vision. So, yes, we'll fit our potholes, but how does that, those, that pothole fill fit the vision of environmental sustainability and infrastructure sustainability? Yes, you know, we need to deal with, you know, city assets. Okay. How does that fit into the vision of lifting our communities, invigorating communities, and also using city assets for something that aligns with that? So one-off policies are not a bad thing, but they just, like I said, they have to fit the vision. So it's either falling into my community, my vision for what's to be for the community, cultivating care, you know, revitalizing recreation, whatever it is that we're, we're approaching community with. And then even prosperity, like how are we, you know, yeah, we can talk about, you know, tax, whatever issues or trying to figure out ways to sustain some of the small businesses. But again, if it's not falling into, you know, the vision of prosperity, long term prosperity, it's just a band-aid solution, you know, and the same thing goes for sustainability. So so I'm not opposed to the one off either. I'm just, well, all I'm just saying is that. For me, I'm just presenting, you know, an option for Winnipeggers. I'm giving uh, where my vision lies. And I hope that people see it and align with it and understand that I humbly ask for that support and allow me to, to you know, create this idea and this vision for all of us. I love that you you talk about it. And again, it, it shows your passion. I just had an idea pop into my head, you know, because... My my podcast, I mean, you know, Coffee with Jenny B, and I've had a few people say, well, you know, I don't like coffee and I don't drink coffee, so why would I listen? Well, yes, it's about coffee, but it's also about conversations over coffee. You know, it's like when you say to somebody, let's go for coffee, it means I want to spend time with you. So an idea just popped in my head about, you know, you should create a, a, a coffee date with your constituents, you know, and, and maybe do something over Zoom right? Absolutely. Or have a mini, um, mini event at a local coffee shop. Love it. I actually have, (laughs) and I can't disclose it at this moment, by the time this airs, they might actually be out already. So there are some very exciting things. Um, I'm definitely campaigning a bit different this time around. And all I can say without disclosing it is (laughs) I will be at your parks, I'll be at your community centers and I will be door wide open waiting for you. And Winnipeggers will know where I'm at. And I'll just be after a long day of door knocking, we'll just settle in in a parking lot somewhere and doors open. Let's have some hot dogs. Let's sit around with some lawn chairs and have some really good coffee. I love it. I love it too. I love it. Yeah. Because Winnipeggers are so great. You know, like they're so 
passionate. They're so energetic. They're so beautifully intelligent. Uh, and I learn something from every single conversation. Really, I do. And the good and the bad. And I'll tell you, I've gotten some bad. I've only been out <laughs> for like five days and I can't even understand. Why <laughs> do you all hate me so much? I didn't even do anything yet. <laughs> I didn't even open my mouth yet. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, I don't even think it's so much hate. I think it's that, you know, they're not sure. It's like, ah, how much do I really know about you? So they're reserving their judgment. So I, I can't say... Well, I don't know. I haven't been on the receiving end of it, but I can't say that it's been outright hate. It's more of a, oh, I'm not quite sure about you, right. you know, which is acceptable. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, that's acceptable. But getting back to grassroots, I mean, that's what you're doing is is you know the hot dogs and the lawn chairs, and you know let's let's sit around and you know and have some coffee and whatever, and it's just it's connecting, right? It's it's showing that you want to connect with them, and people need that connection, especially after COVID, right? We're so excited to be back in person and doing things and, you know, and seeing people instead of being cooped up in our homes and not being able to hug or, or shake your, your hand because, you know, oh, what if I, what if I get COVID? But, and I mean, it, unfortunately it's probably something that we have to live with for, I don't know who knows how long, but it's living. We need to live. We need to live. We need to put ourselves out there. Yeah. And, and I think people are doing that. I went for the um, bike to work ride this morning and, um, you know, there was, there was a good good group of people out and that was beautiful to see and just various events across the city, just local barbecues. But what you know, like that's the thing for us and that's why I keep focusing on that community part. We are community driven. We're not the guys in Toronto and we're not the guys in Ottawa and we're surely not the guys in Sask or even Alberta. We are a very unique group of people. The way that we do community, second to none. Like it's second to none. Um, and that's the most beautiful thing, thing about this city. I mean, the fact that you can go anywhere in the city and run into somebody you know, it speaks to what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Two degrees of separation. Yeah. So let's let's build it. Let's thrive on it. Let's create those spaces where this can happen all the time. Once we're connecting, once we're, we have those solid connections, and it's not just people who have connections, you also want people to create connections who may not have been from Winnipeg, who may be newcomers to the city, who may be other Ukrainian refugees who are or who are fleeing war. Maybe it's the indigenous populations, these, these young, beautiful youth who are coming uh, to Winnipeg for the first time for university. Like, what are we doing? It's not just, I know you, so we're going to see each other. What we're talking about is the people who don't have the connections. How do we create those connections? Yeah, and that's important. And, you know, you touched on um, Indigenous youth. Part of my role as an instructor for the University of Winnipeg PACE, so PACE is Professional Applied Continuing Education, I teach effective oral communications to international students. So 100% of my class is international students who come here wanting a better life, you know, to pursue a career, to have a dream of having a different type of life from what they've had at home. And in most cases, they're supported by their parents. But, you know, what's interesting is when when they come is, you know, we talk about how they're perceived as different, you know, and not just their appearance, but also their names. I remember like my name. So my name is Jenny with a G, short for Genevieve. It's not Jennifer. And growing up, I was called, and I mean, this is English as you get, but I was called Jeannie, Janie, Ginny, like all different variations of that name. 
And I talk to them about that their name is part of their identity. And if someone is mispronouncing it, misspelling it, I still get people calling me Jennifer. And I still correct them as like, no, my name is not Jennifer. But it's being proud of your name and standing up for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And throughout the past seven years, there's three topics that I never said no to a single panel on, ever. Number one was racial issues. Number two was intersectional anything, anything to do with intersectional, an intersectional approach to policy, to legislation, to anything under the sun. I would never say no to that panel because I got stuff to say about that. (laughs) Um, And then the last thing, too, is just uh, these microaggressions or these these things that people do, especially to people of color. You know, and I've spoken about this quite uh, often is just but and this is just my experience. And I want to put the little disclaimer what I'm not talking about is people who physically cannot say the name as in they're just unable to pronounce it. They just don't have the capacity for whatever reason. Right. Like their tongue yep. just doesn't go that way. It just doesn't work. Right. So, and there are people like that. So I want to be fair to acknowledge that there are people who legitimately have trouble saying different names, but you know, what I found in my life very early on was every, anytime I would get to a position of, you know, seniority or something that was of authority in some way, suddenly my name was suddenly very difficult to say. You know, <laughs> like you, you literally said my name for three years correctly. And then the middle, the minute I either win something or something happened, all of a sudden my name is, you know, so hard to pronounce. Um, and it's not just me. I think a lot of, especially women of color, people use it as a, almost like a weapon. People use it as a weapon to almost take away that that part of you that piece of your identity right because it just quote unquote puts you in your place right and um and i'm sure i'm gonna see that a lot during the campaign um you know i definitely will be correcting my name uh i did not do that last time and this time around i will don't even try yeah. it with me don't even go there, <laughs> yeah, don't even go there. <laughs> i've learned the hard way what that actually means but names are very powerful uh, i think depending on who you are and where you come from some of us carry names culturally. It's, it's an ancestral name, or it's something that we that was given to us by somebody uh, critically important in our world. Whether it's a parent, a grandparent, an auntie, or uncle, the connection to our own culture and who we are as people. Uh, I think that that diversity is so beautiful. That's so beautiful that different names are just a part of who we all are as a diverse culture. And honestly, the more diverse, the more beautiful. Absolutely. I'll kind of like leave it at this too. Is I think that sometimes we forget uh, we're always looking at differences. You know, we're always just like, oh, well, that person looks different or speaks different or acts different. But you know what? I promise you that one conversation with one person that you thought was different will show you how people are so deeply the same and connected. At the end of the day, we're all one. We really are one. Our lives are very, very connected. Um, we are all very connected. And what I really want Winnipeggers, I'm asking Winnipeggers to join me on this, you know, on this bridge building, this this community exercise uh, where we all come together and, and, and steer the city to this beautiful place that in 20 years we can look back and be like, we did this together. Like, I'm just a vessel. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm really just a vessel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you're the conduit. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, at the end of the day, I've done politics before. I'm not lacking in anything in my life. You know, there's nothing that I'm really desiring for, but I do feel that responsibility. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm taking it. I love that. Yeah. 
it's community, it's connection, it's having respect for each other, it's allowing us to feel that sense of dignity. Going back to that shopkeeper, you know, showing that person who is taking that that loaf of bread because they know they're desperate for it and showing some dignity, dignity and not confronting them and just letting them take it. Well, all that stuff is so disproportionately racial, right? I mean, you know, and if COVID taught us anything, right? Like what did COVID teach us? It taught us that the people who were at the front lines were struggling the most. Like I did not know that paramedics actually in some, you know, I just heard this two days ago and it just alarmed me. You know, I didn't know someone can correct me if I'm wrong. It was just a passing conversation, but it just triggered me a bit. I was like, what? But I didn't know that, you know, people like our frontline services, not all of them have access to comprehensive mental health care. Like, can you imagine being a paramedic at a, on a, the front lines while we were all holed up in our homes? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that were, either. They were saving the city. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. We're holding, like, what are we doing? We're not looking out for each other. No, and that's exactly it. We're not looking out for each other. We're not showing that care but we have capacity to do it. And we are people who care. So we're completely going against everything we actually are as Winnipeg, <laughs> right? Yes, I know. But it's time to make a change. We can affect change. We can affect change. You can gather everyone together. Let's gather our community. Let's affect change. Let's bring prosperity back to the city and let's make it sustainable. I love that. Community, sustainability, and prosperity. That's perfect. I love it. Yeah, you can't go wrong. And as long as everything's based on facts, research, evidence, we love science, yay science. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right? And everything. Even making coffee. There's science in right. making coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. There's science in everything. We gather experts. We build teams of experts. If any candidate pretends that they are the expert in everything, well, that in itself should be a red flag. Yeah. Nobody exactly. knows anything. Uh, what we do is, and what positive leaders do, good leaders do, is we pull the smartest people around us who know everything about everything about that issue. And then even after we have that, we get more. <laughs> even that's not enough, you know, and you keep building on that. Yeah. And, you know, there's a saying that if you're the smartest person in the room, you should find a different room. Find a different crew. Absolutely. Yeah. And just the last thing I just want to mention was there's a generation of of youth and they're not even youth i mean i would say under 30 35 they've really predominantly just been ignored when it comes to sustainability when it comes to community when it comes to prosperity absolutely i mean where where are the guys who have including like all of us where you know i'm 44 and i still think that way right we have to start thinking about you know like the gig economy and sustainability we have to start thinking about all of these different ways that people create income and, and, and sustain their livelihoods and include that in our decision making. It's not just nine to five jobs anymore that we're trying to, that doesn't exist. It's gone. That, that time is gone. So I think, I hope Winnipeggers really listen carefully to positions and the words candidates use when they're talking, because the world doesn't exist anymore like it used to even two years ago. We're very different now. So different times require different efforts and direction. And different leaders. And different leaders. And I, I'm doing this, I'm working as hard as I can. And I mean, I can't even imagine 
the love and the, the honor that I would carry the city with. And I, I would not let it down. I, that much I know. I just have too much love for it to let it down. Uh, so I hope I'm just going to work hard. And, you know, to your listeners, like, please feel free to send us an email. Ask the questions. I'm available. I'm super approachable. Stop me at your coffee store. Stop me at, you know, food fair, like wherever it is, you know, just stop me. Ask me the questions. And if you hear that noise upstairs, that's my niece who is playing, waiting for me to come upstairs and take her for a park, park walk. <laughs> Well, you know what? It's probably a good time for us too, because we've been we've been talking for quite a while and, and it's been such an enjoyable conversation and I've loved connecting with you and learning more about what your goals and aspirations, you know, some of your background, you know, I mean, uh, of course I knew a little bit, but I knew a little bit a li- about a little. And, and so you've been able to really shed some light on who you are what your beliefs are, and again, what your visions are for the city of Winnipeg and for Winnipeg in general. And my belief can be summarized in I'm a Winnipegger through and through. There you go. You That's all we as Winnipeggers. Need. I'm the epitome of that. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much, Rana, for being on here and and sharing a conversation with me. And we'll definitely do that coffee date shirt uh, very soon, okay? Deal. 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 Absolutely. Okay, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the afternoon. Okay, uh, thank you to all your listeners for here listening. Yes, thank you, Rana. And so until next time, think about the passion that you have, the purpose that you have. Think about the vision that you have for whatever it is that you're doing in your life, whether it's for your personal life, your work, something entirely different. And think about what vision you see for the city of Winnipeg. What change do you want to see affected? What are the goals, the aspirations that you have? And if you have ideas, if you have your own vision and you want to collaborate and connect with someone, consider connecting with Rana and sharing your vision, your goals, your aspirations, because really it's about connecting. It's about community and we're all a community together. Thanks so much for listening. If you like Coffee with Jenny B and want to know more, connect with Jenny on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. That's Jenny with a G. Until then, all you need is joy and more coffee. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.